Let me review quickly where we've been and we'll dive in quickly where we need to go today. As we talk about God's love, we, we said this from the very beginning, love is ultimately from God. And wherever love is shown, it points back to the owner and source, God himself. And so we've talked about the kaleidoscope, which I forgot in my office. The kaleidoscope, which, you know, you put it up in all the different colors and you shake it and you put it up again in all the different colors and different shapes that God's character are all tied together. And multi, you can't totally figure God out. I mean, we, he's let us know certain things, but not everything about God. But he's allowed us to know certain things. God's love is one of those, but you can't separate God's love from the other things. They're all interconnected. Everyone wants to do the smorgasbord thing where I'm just going to pick what I love of God and like and disregard the rest. Because this morning, we're talking about the love and the hate of God. What? No, God can't hate. Yeah, he can. And here's, here's, God can love and hate perfectly because he's God. Now, we love and hate, right? Are there things you love? Yes. Are there things you hate? Yes. All right. Some of you last night were rejoicing when the Dodgers lost. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, some of you guys, I mean, are such diehard Giant fans. When I wore a Dodger jersey, you wouldn't shake my hand. I know where the hate is. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a baseball fan. I got out jerseys for everybody. But just, anyway, we love and hate, but we don't love and hate perfectly. God does. And I'm hoping as we go through these scriptures, we'll find that out to be true. Now, seminaries usually teach us that there are three sermons preached on a Sunday morning. All right? The one that people hear, the one that you thought you preached, and the one you actually preached, okay? Trust me, I've had people come, I, I, I can't believe, you said this and this, and I'm going to do this. I go, when did I ever say that? See, I can't control what you hear. I think I know what I'm preaching. I got my notes right here. But what I actually preached, my hope is, my hope and my prayer is that we can squish all those together today as we talk about an important, important truth about the love and hate of God. Now, on October 14th, there was a huge lightning storm down in L.A. And in L.A., with this lightning storm, there were over 4,000 strikes of lightning in a 24-hour period. Now, what happened on Griffith Park, a guy took, took what what we call time-lapse photography. You guys have seen time-lapse photography. There are a couple pictures, I believe. Now go back to the other ones. Is there pictures? Yeah. See that where, you know, you set it up, you open it up, and all the stars make a circle, or cars make this stream here. But this lightning storm, a guy sat up there, and this is only, this is only 10 pictures taken over a 15-minute span. I mean, if it was the whole thing, I mean, the whole sky would be lit up, obviously. And I, I look at that and say, man, that's so awesome, the different lightning strikes. Now, they didn't all happen at the same time. This was a panoramic view of just 15 minutes over L.A. Now, when God looks at us, he can see us now, but he can see the panoramic view. Do you believe that? He sees everything. And let's pretend that sin is a lightning strike. 
So if I talk about my sin, I'll, well, you know, I've got a couple strikes, you know, type thing. I mean, I think I did two or three yesterday, maybe. None today yet, but today's young. I mean, if I just look at moments in time, there might not be any or there might be one or two. But when God looks at our life, he sees all the strikes. He sees them all. And that's why when God looks at us, when he looks at mankind, he says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. Can we agree to that? We're all sinners. Yes? Some of you are old sinners. Some of you are young sinners. There are baby sinners in here. All right? Some of you are really good at sinning. Others are just learning. I mean, all levels of sin. But here's the deal. God looks panoramically at us and says, guys, you're all sinful. You are full of sin. And that's, that's why the cross, that's why Jesus came. That's why everything took place there. And we have to understand that when we start approaching the scriptures of when he talks about the love of God, when he talks about choices. And so what we're going to do, I hope we're going to do, we're going to land in Romans chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or smartphones, go there, Romans chapter 9. And we're going to go back and forth between there and Ephesians 1. So if you have a Bible, you can actually go like this. On your smartphone, you're going to have to do a little bit more work to get there. Romans 9, which Jeff just mentioned, Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer, short answer is what? Nothing. Now Romans 9 kicks in. So keep that in mind as we read through Romans 9, especially when it talks about the love and hate of God. Romans 9, starting at verse 2. He says this. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Several times in Scripture he says, I wish I could trade places with them so that they may know the truth. So he says, I could wish that I could get cut off from that, from my people, my na the nation of Israel. But what he goes on to say, let's go to the next slide, the people of Israel. Theirs, being the people of Israel, is an adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. So he lists this long list. This is what the Jews, they had adoption, divine glory, the covenants, the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, where we can trace the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Who God is over all, forever, praise amen. So he's making a statement about the nation of Israel, how they were prized, how much things they had to point them to the truth. Verse 6, it is not as though God's word has failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. Not everyone who is born a Jew, who is, can trace their lineage back to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not, not everyone who is born that way is an Israelite. Does that make sense so far? Right? Verse 7. Nor because they are descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that our offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are, the chil are God's children, 
but as the children of the promise, who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was started. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So he's talking about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. The promise was waited, 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 and so they took matters in their own hands. Sarah took one of her helpers and said, Abraham, sleep with her, and a boy was born, Ishmael, from that. But that wasn't the promised son. The promised son was not Ishmael, it was Isaac. And so understand this whole natural child. That's why Jesus, John the Baptist, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he makes much of the same comment. He calls them out in Matthew 3, 7 through 9. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think. You, you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you the truth. Out of these stones, God can raise children of Abraham. You're leaning on your lineage. You're leaning on where you came from, not on what is happening in your life. You think you're good because you can say, my father was Abraham, but you can't trust in that because God can raise these stones to be children of Abraham. God chooses one over another. Look at verse 10 of Romans 9. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one of them, one the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done what? Anything good or bad. Important to know that. In order that God's purposes in, what's that word? Election. In order that God's purpose in election might stand not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I what? Hated. Tim, that can't mean that actually he hates Esau. Maybe it's a comparison kind of love. I want you to see from that, first off, that he chose the younger to serve the older. It was God's choice. God chose in the beginning, Abraham, you're going to have a kid of promise, but you interceded and you slept with someone else and you had a baby, Ishmael, but that's not who I'm planting the seeds from. The child of promise was not Ishmael. It was Isaac. And now here Isaac has a kid and, and twins and has been told, okay, the younger is going to, the older is going to serve the younger. The younger is who I'm going to choose. I choose, God chooses. God chooses one over another. I'm just trying to build a foundation to show where this is going. Now, we understand hatred, as the definition of hatred is, is a very angry emotional response to certain people or baseball teams. Hated is often associated with intense feelings of anger and disgust toward Priuses. No, I, I, I'm sorry, I just put, um, not the drivers, just the car. Um, See, we can't hate. We, I mean, we can hate because God can hate. We can love because God can love. But we don't do it perfectly like God does. We make choices. And there are things that we can hate. There are things along this. It, it's, it's in uh, further study in your notes. There are plenty of things that God 
literally says he hates. He makes a list in Proverbs. So there are things that God hates along the way. We can say, well, you know, with Jacob, he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. It's kind of a comparison. Because you know, it says in the Bible that God loves this, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't say God's going to send sin to hell. He's going to send what to hell? He's going to send sinners to hell. Some of you get, okay, this is not the service I really thought I was going to be into. This is where I need you to, okay, shake the head again. Let's make sure we're going the right direction here. Luke 14 talks about a comparison love. And there's places in the Bible where if you compared one's love towards God, toward your family, then it might look like hate. Jesus said that in Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children. Now, children, this is not saying, I knew I could hate my parents. I hate you. Jesus said I could. That's not what this is saying here. Or his brothers or sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's talking about that if someone saw your love and devotion for God, they would compare that to the love and devotion for your parents that you don't like your parents very much. Jesus is not telling you to hate them. Matter of fact, that would go against the law which says honor your father and mother. So there is in the scripture where it does talk a comparison of love to hate. But that's not what this passage is talking about where it says, Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. In the book of Malachi, this Malachi 1 opens up this way. An oracle, the word of the Lord is Israel, to Israel from Malachi, through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau, Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated and I've turned the mountains into wastelands and has left his inheritance in the desert to jackals. If it's comparison love, you don't flatten everything he owns and disregard all his inheritance. This was, I love Jacob. Esau, I hated. This is not about mere preference. This is a choice. This is God truly picking Jacob, and rejecting Esau. Right? Keep this in your mind now. That God loves, God can love and hate perfectly because he is God. Romans 9, 14 through 15 goes on to say, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. I mean, that's one of his characteristics, his attributes, is justice. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. He chooses to elect some and reject others. David writes in the psalm, Psalm 5, which is a beautiful psalm at the beginning, many songs. One of my first songs I ever wrote as a college student was based on Psalm 5. Verse 4 of Psalm 5 says this, You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. And we go, yay, amen. We continue to read, But you hate 
all those who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. The Lord abhors. Which hates here, take it up a notch to abhor. I loathe. I mean, that's what that, it's hatred and despising altogether. And that is said of God. Now, again, we should not be surprised at this because we love and hate, and there are some things we need to love and hate there. God can love and hate perfectly, but he is God. We can't. He can. And from all eternity, it was his plan to demonstrate his love through saving what we will call the elect. And throughout Scripture, it talks about this. Now, we're going to leave Romans for a minute. I'm going to shoot over to Ephesians. You holding on here? Okay. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, what? Chose us. In him before creation of the world. Now, we've said that often. We've talked about that. Guys, God has chosen you. And we can get excited in ourselves. Yes, God has chosen me. When did he choose me? Before you were even here, before the creation of the world, he chose you. Wow, how awesome is that? To be holy and blameless in the sight, in love, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Man, that's what, yeah, we use that, man. We've been adopted. I mean, you can give birth to a kid, but when you adopt someone, you're choosing that kid over everybody else. You could have chose someone else, but you, before the beginning of time, have been chosen, have been adopted, and we say in our soul, we read that, and we go, amen. But this is where I personally struggle at this whole thing, where I gotta go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> out here. Okay, if you chose me, then that means you haven't chose others. And there's some people on that list I'd, I'll put on, don't choose them. I mean, right? There's people you just say, I don't, you know, I know heaven's going to be big. I know people that have, I say heaven's going to be big. I'm glad I don't have to see them while in heaven. I don't doubt that they're going. I just don't want to hang around them when I get there. Okay, maybe that's only me that thinks that. But there's some people, oh, they deserve hell. They deserve separation from God. They, choose, they, they deserve to be rejected. But what if that's my family? What if that's my mom and dad or my kids or my grandkids? Because if it's true, he chooses some that means he rejects others. And I'll keep beating this drum, guys. It comes down, I think the, the thing we gotta get, if we can start here, then everything else falls into place easier. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we can understand just the divine sovereignty of God and get a hold of that, that he is sovereign, which means many things, which some of these we have no problem with. His authority over creation, because he created us. He made us, he's, he's the ruler, he's sovereign over that. We, we used to say, I got no problem with that. That he's sovereign over government and the universe, and history even. 
I go, uh, you know, there's some places, men, yay. There's some places, what were you thinking there? I don't think, I'd, you know. And we don't have to go back too far in history. You know, World War II, Hitler, then the whole whole thing with the Jews and killing them all in the Holocaust. You're, you're sovereign over those things? Yes. Because if I believe he's sovereign here, I have to believe he's sovereign everywhere. And that's important. That's why Romans 9, 19 through 21 continues. Now, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me this way? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common uses? And the answer is, yeah, because he's sovereign. He's God. He has control over the things. And so what he chooses to create and why he chooses to create it is up to him, up to his pleasure, up to his will of what he wants to do. That's why Romans 9, 22 goes on to say, what if God chooses to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he's prepared in advance for us? What if he created some evil, something that turned out to evil, but the whole purpose of that was to show the goodness of God? Again, if he's sovereign, if he controls what he makes and why he makes them, I mean, some of you who create with your hands, some of you who are making scarecrows right now for the harvest camera, you guys are making decisions. You know, do I make it kind of scary? Do I make it a woman? Do I make it a man? How much do I, do I fill them up? You know, you're making choices because this is your creation. Now, some can come alongside and say, well, why? I don't know why you did that. Hey, this is my creation, not yours. Go make your own scarecrow. And we have no problem with that which we create, whether it's cooking, whatever it may be. God says, I have that same prerogative because I'm sovereign. And what if I were to create something for the sole purpose to show something else off? He created us, so it's his rules that we have to live by. And let's go back. You know, we'll be back in Romans in a minute, but let's go back to Ephesians. Verse 7 says, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, back to his good pleasure, his will, his purpose, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And we all say amen to that. But then verse 11 says, in him we were also what? There's that word again, chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Guys, there are some he chooses to honor, some he chooses to pour his grace and mercy on, and others have not been chosen. And I want you to see something right here. All this, 
that we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, sovereignty, for the purpose of his will, the basis of God's choice does not lie in you. Again, he picked Jacob over Esau before they did anything. He picked you before the creation of time, before you did anything. It is not based on you. It's based on his choice, his love, his will. And sometimes, I mean, I, I think we believe that, but if we take to the next step, but then some he hasn't. That's not fair. Guys, God is sovereign, his universe, his rules. This is what he's set up. Now, if you don't want not fair, then you go back to your smorgasbord and pick your God the way you want to design it. And we'll see how that turns out for you. But the sovereign God of the universe, who it says has chosen you, that's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You guys have been through the discipleship class. You know this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And what? It's not you. It's not from you. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not say, well, you know, I had more faith than you did. I mean, I believed first before you did. No. This is through God. God's choice. It's not based on who you are. It's based on who he is. That's why Romans, back to Romans 9, 16 through 18. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, and I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and hardens whom he wants to harden. God's job. And most of us don't have a problem with, yeah, Pharaoh deserved that. I mean, he, he did this to the Jews and Israel, let my people go, and you know, God hardened his heart. And most of us just read right past that. Because it's Pharaoh, it's centuries and eons ago. But what if that's your dad or your child? Now the principle's the same. I harden Pharaoh's heart so I can display God's glory because it's all about God's glory, guys. God is all about his glory. Everything is about his glory. I did this so my power might be on display, he says. The passage in John, which we quote many times. John 6, verse, starting in verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are, the, are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you here who do not believe. Now he's not just talking about, well he's talking about Judas here. No, because a bunch of disciples, and they're called disciples in the beginning and at the end here, are there. And look what Jesus says. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Now he's not just talking about Judas. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one comes to, the, to me, what's that word? Unless. That's a big word right there. No one comes to Jesus. No one's interested in Jesus unless. Unless the Father has enabled him. 
This word come means not do, 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 do. It means to be dragged. No one comes. No one is drawn. Come on, let's go. Not do, do, do. No, they're brought. They're taken by the hand by the Father who has enabled him to see. That's why throughout Scripture, over and over, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you're not going to hear unless the Father enacts it in the first place. He is sovereign. He's the one who draws. He's the one who enables. And understand, many approached him. Many who, it goes on to say, that from this time, many of his what? Disciples. It didn't say people were following him. Just, just do, 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 do. People that just, hey, what's going on over there? Disciples. All of a sudden, turned back and no longer followed. You do not want to leave me too. I always say, Jesus never begged him back. Jesus never said, oh, wait, 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 wait. I know. Too hard a saying. Let, let, come on. Let me ease you into this. No, they just left. They understood what Jesus is requiring of them. Unless, unless the Father does Again, this coming, this drawing to him. That's why Ephesians 1, back to Ephesians 12 through 14 says, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Again, everything God does is to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a great seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a depositing guarantee on our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The purpose of election is to the praise of his glory. The purpose that he chooses is to the praise of his glory. The purpose is we see the whole Godhead involve the Trinity itself where the Father draws and they're drawn to Christ. And it, one, of, one of the things you, in your notes last week was to look up the passage where Jesus was given these disciples. Everyone that comes to Christ, this is the gift to Jesus from the Father for his obedience at the cross. That we are his, we are in Christ and then the Holy Spirit is involved because the Holy Spirit, it, it seals us up as a guarantee of that day that's coming. That God can both love and hate perfectly because he is, he is God. The basis of God's choice is not, does not lie in you. It is in God's love for you that he chose you. Now, let me tell you where I struggle with this because, okay, if that means he's chose some, then he hasn't chose others. Which ones hasn't he chosen? I don't know. I don't know. God has not told me which ones he's chosen. There's not like a little glow over the head. Oh, there's a halo, there's a halo. It's not how it works. He hasn't told us that. And he doesn't, hasn't told us how many he's chosen. I don't know. So I, I just treat everybody as they've been chosen. 
I quote Larry Underhill, the prophet Underhill, I call him, saying, he says it constantly, show up, tell the truth, leave the results to God. That's all I can do. I don't know who, who's been chosen. I don't know who will hear. I don't know in this congregation who has been chosen and who hasn't. Who will hear and who hasn't? Who will turn away someday? He hasn't told me any of that. He has said, though, I've invited a lot. Let me close with this, Matthew 22. It says, as Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come which if you've planned any wedding, we just got done doing Micah's. I mean, you send out invitations. And those who have planned weddings, do everyone come that say they're going to come to be invited? No. I don't care what, I don't care what event we've said. We could sell tickets and people still don't show. All right? They've been invited. We say, oh, y'all come now. So everyone's been invited. People have been invited but they refuse to come. What? How do you refuse to come? Then he sent out some servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, fat and calf, have been butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the banquet. It's ready to go. You're invited to come. But verse 5 says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. They're too busy. <laughs> I've got a lot going on right now. I mean, I've got a young family. I've got my, my job. Yeah, I, just send my regrets. Don't miss the point here where God saying, I've invited you to the wedding. But some have chosen. God gives us the ability, enables us to have faith. We have the choice of whether we're going to believe or not. Are there some he's rejected? Yeah. Are there some he's created for the sole purpose to show his glory off? Yes. We see that in history, and we usually don't have any problem with it, but until we start saying, is that true today? Yes. Verse 6 says, The rest seized his servants and mistreated them, killed them. And the king was enraged. And he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, why? Because he's got a wedding feast prepared. The wedding back when is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. They had the chance. They chose not to. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. I mean, that's why I love... I mean, he doesn't care, all right? 
Someone over here has 10,000 lightning strikes, some of you have a million, and some of you have five. All right, it's good or bad. His call is, come. You're invited. But when the king came and saw a guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, don't mistake this as saying, well, you got, you got to look a certain way. To be invited to the wedding, to come to the wedding, you have to be dressed in a certain thing. And the only thing you can be dressed in is what Jesus did on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. He asked, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless because he didn't know what to say. And we look at this so harsh. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some will think they can sneak in. Some will think that they'll take a version of God but deny the truth of who God is. I prayed that this morning. I mean, we, as we have churches all over the world, churches I've been to in different places of the world, we're facing, which I thought was kind of funny that every single church in different countries I was praying for all were facing corrupt governments and persecution, property being threatened to be taken away, the very livelihood, because they're giving a cup of cold water. They're extending the love of Christ. And you have churches today who call themselves churches by name only because the Bible's not the word of God. Jesus was just a man who was a good teacher. And basically they take the, leaf, the teeth out of the lion. And these are the ones who are going to try to sneak in. Jesus is going to look at them. <laughs> you don't have the blood of Christ. You haven't received that. You're not in the wedding clothes as he talks about us. If you've accepted Christ, he's dressed you. And there's going to be a choice made that some are not going to make it. I don't know who. As I read scripture, unfortunately, I keep going to the word few. Few's going to make it. Few will choose. Many will choose. Hey, I got stuff to do. I got my business. I got my family. I got time. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll wait till my deathbed. And he's saying, come. He's the one who enables us to have faith. We choose to believe I think that's where our free will comes in place. I mean, throughout my life, God has shown who he is through various events, but it was in a library at Delta College at 19 years old where God enabled me to believe. And I chose to believe. He enabled me to have faith of who he is. To realize I've been chosen for that moment. And that's why I, 
I don't know who's been chosen. I don't know how many has been chosen. I've been called just to speak the truth. And I've been called much like Jesus says, hey, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. But I can't control that. The Father draws. Some of you might right now be sitting here. I believe God's enabling me to have faith, but you haven't chosen to believe yet. Some of you are just here because you've just chosen to show up because that's the American way to do it. And God's up there checking, all right, he showed up on that Sunday, he's good to go. God makes a choice and he chooses to love and he chooses to hate. He's not going to send sin to hell. He's going to send sinners to hell. He's given men choice. And yes, some he's created, much like Pharaoh, he's created them for the purpose to show off his glory, his prerogative. And I, I, I struggle with it. But I'm not God. He is. He knows what he's doing. Just like I create things. I, sometimes I just mock up things in my shop before I create the actual thing I want to use an example, to use all right, where my mistakes have been made. If you ever create anything, you understand that. Probably your first shot as a recipe, eh, should have come back on the shell, salt. I could. All right, that, that was the trial run. I hate using friends as guinea pigs when I'm cooking something. My family gets to be the guinea pig. But God doesn't do it that way. He chooses some for his glory. I don't know who. I don't know how many. I do know a few will choose. Many who are invited will say, ah, too busy. Ah, got stuff going on. But his invite is there. The basis of God's choice does not lie in me. It does not lie in you. It lies in God's love, for he chose you. And if something has burned in your heart in the past that I need to believe, you've been chosen. Live that out. If something's burning in your heart, I need to believe. Don't leave this place without enacting that on that faith to believe. I'll be sitting right down here if you need to talk about that. That something's brought. I need to make the choice now. God has brought me. He's able. He's chosen me. He's drawn me. He dragged me to church today. Maybe to believe. Maybe someone online watching right now. You're sitting in your lounge chair drinking your Dr. Pepper and thinking... Maybe today's the day. That's by submitting myself to who God is, to believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me, to confess my sin before him and ask him to, to be, a, be the Lord of my life, not a part of my life, to be my life. And that's where it begins. His choice does not lie with me, it lies with him. Father in heaven, I thank you for your truth, even though sometimes it's hard to grasp. I struggle with this most of my life, and yet I keep going back to the scriptures and so many more scriptures we could read. But Father, you are the God of the universe. You created all things to your praise and your glory, and you're chosen. So Father, if there's people here who have been drawn, but they just haven't believed yet. May they not leave this place. May those who are watching 
on their devices may not leave this place without saying yes to Jesus. Today I choose to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.